Welcome to Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. This is episode 70 if you're keeping score at home. It is official. Thanksgiving weekend is fading away slowly. Christmas time is almost here. you're having a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I will get to part two of my conversation with my longtime friend Charles Doris in just a minute. But first, I need to do my email question of the week and my pick of the week. Because of the question of the week, it sets it up pretty well. I'm going to use the answer to my question of the week to be my pick of the week. So two for one. John, what is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? Well, because of one particular scene... It's not even close. So I'll give you the answer. It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, the reason I love a Charlie Brown Christmas more than I love the movie Elf, which is my second pick, uh, my second favorite Christmas movie, uh, is Linus. He comes out and recites Luke 2 during a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's a scene I've always loved. To me, it sets that movie apart. It's timeless. It's a classic. The answer to my email question of the week and my pick of the week, A Charlie Brown Christmas. If you have kids, sit down and watch it with them. If you have grandkids, sit down and watch them with them. If you don't have kids or grandkids close, just sit down and watch the movie. It's a timeless classic. So uh, there's my pick of the week and my email question of the week. Okay, part two of my conversation with one of the cornerstones of Nashville's music scene, my dear friend, one of the nicest people you will ever meet, Mr. Charles Doris. Okay, Charles, so it seemed like the sky was the limit for Christian music, but there was a reality that a lot of people weren't aware of. Talk about the reality of the glass ceiling that Christian music faced. I'll never forget this. It's a sad remembrance for me. Uh, Point of Grace was the hottest act in Christian music when this story I'm about to tell you happened. Uh, they were selling 5,000 seats a night in many markets on their tours. Uh, their records were going platinum, selling a million copies. Uh, they came out of the shoot. You may know this. They still have a record that's never been broken. Now, Taylor Swift actually may have broken it. Now that I'm saying that. But they had 27 consecutive number one singles from their debut single, which went to number one. It was not until single 28 oh that goodness. they had a single not go number one. Wow. And that record... Uh, is either still standing or it got broken by Taylor Swift. I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it, all genres of music, even even the Beatles and Elvis, nobody had that uh, that track record. Anyway, so Point of Grace, they were they were hot, hot, hot. I mean, there was nobody hotter in Christian music at that moment when the story I'm telling you uh, happens. Sure. Um, and so by this time, I had done a deal with the William Morris Agency, who was one of many secular entertainment companies wanting to get in the Christian space. And uh, I had uh, sold my company to William Morris, and I was head of Christian music for William Morris. And I can talk more about that if you want to. Um, but um, um, but it opened my opportunities even more so because I suddenly had access to TV agents mm-hmm. and film agents who were helping put music into films and things like that. And so I talked to the agent at William Morris that handled the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I pitched him on the idea of we should put Point of Grace as one of the music artists on the parade. He loved the idea. He called his uh, person at whichever network has Macy's or had it at that time. Um, 
And I remember this so well, uh, the four point of grace girls, uh, their manager, Mike Atkins mm -hmm. and myself flew to New York. We met in the really fancy snazzy offices of the William Morris agency up on their 30th floor conference room or whatever it was okay. um, in chairs that cost more than somebody's car cost. Right. <laughs> it was really, really fancy stuff. So here come these three, uh, 20 something year olds that are the producers of Macy's <laughs> oh, and our TV agent of course is there and uh, uh, actually a couple of TV agents and everybody makes pleasant, pleasant dialogue for a few minutes. And then the, the agent, uh, William Morris agent kind of gets the, gets the ball rolling and says, you know, blah, blah, blah. How did stack in the business? They were going to come here and meet you. You already seen all the data, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'll never forget this young 28 whatever year old guy saying well you know i'm afraid i got some bad news we actually thought about canceling this meeting because you see we've decided that if we put a christian act in the macy's parade we run the risk of offending too many people oh my goodness i'm sitting there and it's all i could do to not uh. it's not my nature i wouldn't have done this it's all i could do to not say what <laughs> How out of touch with reality are you? 85% of America is Christian. Right. You'll put some gyrating sex symbol on there who's scantily clad. Right. That's what's offending my children. That's why I turn it off. Yeah, yeah no, I, didn't, I didn't say that stuff, but that's what I was thinking. Sure. Uh, and, of course, we made all the appropriate you're-out-of-your-mind comments without using those words. But these kids had come in with their mind made up. Of course. They had it in their power, mm -hmm. just as people like them do today, yeah. to use the media and now tech, technology, social media, yeah. to squelch mm -hmm. Christian things. Right. And so I saw it close up and personal, and that wasn't this year. That was 25 years ago. Wow. You know, and so it was, it's not new. It's just broader now because of social media. Okay, I'm on my soapbox. I'm going to get down off that. <laughs> Go back in the right direction. But um, but I had a lot of success uh, with a lot of artists. Uh, I failed to mention Audio Adrenaline. You know, I signed them. Uh, just as, you know, Whiteheart was starting to kind of yeah. <laughs> Peter out a little bit. Yep. Uh, that's probably the wrong way to say it. But, you know, acts go up, artists go up and they come down. Yep. Happens to everybody. Some people are very blessed, like a U2 or somebody that stayed up there for 40 years. Right. By the way, I saw Bono on an interview yesterday and I thought, man, that dude's for the first time looking old. I thought the same <laughs> so, thing. I saw that interview as well. Man, I was watching that. I was going, no, no, not Bono. Age <laughs> is going to get him too. <laughs> and of course, we all know yep. he's appointed on the man once to die. <laughs> And uh, nobody, nobody is going to escape that. Yeah. I mean, uh, so unless uh, unless you're living in Christ and the Lord comes back and you're living when he comes back. Right uh, so uh, anyway, um, uh, I remember, you know, thinking when I signed Audio Adrenaline and they blew up mm -hmm. in a big, big way. You know, we had them out. DC Talk was real hot at that time. They went out for two consecutive tours as the opening act and second billing. Yeah with DC talk and that just cemented them as the next right. act, so to speak. And then they never got as big as uh, DC talk by any stretch, but they had a season where like many before them, including Whiteheart, they could go out anywhere in the country and sell you know, 1,500 or 3,000 seats. Right. And uh, we could go out and do 60 city tours. And uh, mm -hmm. so they released album after album after album, song after song after song. 
you know, they were closing at every festival. And, uh, yes, that was a real sweet run. I, there's others I should mention besides them, but, uh, I enjoyed my season with, uh, with them immensely, just as I did with so many, uh, others. And I'm friends with all those guys to this day. Sure. Uh, so that, that's a good thing from, uh, from those angles as well. Uh, and, uh, I'll kind of start, um, uh, Segging into what I'm doing now, okay, because uh, I've I've gotten really long winded on you here. Oh no, <laughs> so. no, no, no! You keep talking. I'll go all day. In fact, half the questions I was going to ask you, you've answered without me even asking the questions. So this has been great. Okay, well, good. That's good. That's good. One thing I do want to talk to you about, though, I want you to tell the story about how Charles Doris and Associates became William Morris, and walk us on from there. So back in uh, 2008. I'd done this deal with William Morris in 1993, so I'd been there for 15 years, uh, going on 16, and um, uh, there was a change in the board of directors at William Morris, and I knew something was going on with the company. I did not know till after I was gone what was happening, uh, but uh, the guy that had been the head of the music division, who I'd done my deal with, suddenly and quite abruptly retired, hmm. um, and he called me to tell me what was going on. We of course, they become friends, and he was a Jewish gentleman, but his wife was a Christian, and so she loved Christian music, and she was forever more calling me and said, hey, I just found out that you signed Jackie Velasquez, and man, isn't she great, you know, kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, so, so I had this great relationship with this this, this guy and his wife, and um, um, the new guy, who I knew because he'd been a, a, the head of the L.A. music office, though not the head of the music division. Sure. His name was Peter Grosslight, and he was the agent for the Eagles. Wow. He'd been their agent since they started. Huh. And I loved the Eagles, and so I, every time I was in L.A., I'd, I'd say, hey, Peter, let's have lunch. Tell me more Eagle stories. So I'd gotten to know Peter really well. But anyway, so Peter was suddenly the head of the music division. Okay. His first meeting to Nashville, uh, I'll paraphrase, he basically said, Charles, you know, these Christian artists take a lot of personnel. we got 40 acts on the roster. And he said, and there's nobody, the only act you even have on the roster that makes 25 grand a year is switch, a, a show is Switchfoot. Right. And he said, when are we going to have some acts that make serious money? Oh, wow. And I said, well, Peter, I, that is serious money for the Christian space. And he said, well, I know that. He said, but, you know, Brooks and Dunn are getting 400000 a show. You know, Vince Gill gets 300000 a show. He said, are you ever going to have any acts in Christian music to get that kind of money? And I said, I'm going to say no, Peter. You know, there might be, there'd be some acts that somebody someday is going to become a significant arena act, maybe a few of them. And I said, and we're on path to have them. Sure. You know, with all we got going on. But anyway, long story short, I knew the, the temperature and the water was changing. Right. And my then current contract ended at the end of that year. Hmm. And William Morris always worked on contracts, two-year contracts for their senior executives. And I was a senior VP. Um, and I went home and told my wife, I said, we need to uh, start praying about what God's next phase is and how we need to adapt because they will not be renewing my contract. And that proved to be true. Wow. Um, but they, uh, and, and they decided to get out of Christian music, hmm. which they did for a season. And they got back in. And I'll tell you that story real quick in a second. But uh, they honored me in a good way. There was nothing bad about it. They, hmm. they, gave, they gave me a party at the end of the year. Um, they gave me a, 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 a severance package that was not in my contract, which they didn't have to do, that you could have bought a new car and had money left over with. Wow. I mean, they were very sweet and generous to me. I have nothing but good things to say about my season at William Morris. 
I hired a lot of great people, including Valerie Summers, and she was already there as an assistant. And I am the one, I still have this paperwork somewhere, where I wrote a letter to Richard Rosenberg, the head of music that I mentioned earlier, whose wife was a Christian, and said, this letter is to say it is time to promote Valerie Summers to Asia. She has proven herself, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, and he agreed, thankfully. My new budget was being considered at that time, and uh, and anyway, she she became an agent, and um, you know the rest of that story. She's a great agent, one of the best I've ever worked with. She's yeah. just so savvy and so smart. Yeah, Val to me is the best. Yeah, and a great person. You know, and uh, yeah. I still every once in a while when I see her, I don't see her very often anymore. But I remember when she turned thirty, and we had an all day celebrate Valerie party, <laughs> and I had found all this uh, thirty stuff and sympathy stuff. You know, and so we had a great day. We we had a breakfast, and then. The whole office, the country guys and gals, as well as the Christian department, we all had um, brought food and hors d'oeuvres, and then we had uh, cake that afternoon. It was, it was great. We had, uh, I don't think there was any wine involved, but uh, that was before. I think Kip was probably in the wine business already, but he hadn't launched uh, uh, the vineyard out here. Yeah, right. he was he was still up still up in Clarksville, yep. at Beach Haven. Beach Haven. Yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, and he did great course up there. And uh, obviously, you know the rest of that story. Uh, anyway, uh, so this is this gets to where I am now. Um, I knew that I did not want to keep the pace I was keeping uh, going forward. My wife and I had, uh, as as people that have been married for a while with no children, we'd adopted three babies in a row, two years apart, from China, three mm-hmm. little baby girls. Um, so, um, you know, at this point I'm in, you know, you know, 50 ish, 52 ish years old. And I'm thinking, I don't want to work 60 hours a week and travel 25 weekends a year going forward. I I just don't, you know? And so I had a moment in time where I could have taken all the artists with me and launched a company because Peter Grosslight said, we're going to release all the artists from the contracts and we're going to shut this division down. Hmm. But I was under uh, a contract not to tell anybody that, so, so I didn't. So nobody knew what I knew. The two people, myself and one other person, our contracts weren't renewed. And then three months later, they came in and summarily let go everybody else except one person. And they kept that person on board to, quote, service the dates on the books, close quote. Hmm. And once those were all serviced going for the next six to nine months, they let her go. Wow. And poof, William Marsh was out of the Christian music space. Wow. Well, what did you do next? How did you know which direction you were going to go? What What happened was I, I took a yellow legal pad in three days' time and uh, went to a cabin um, and just prayed. My wife was back home with the kids praying, and uh, I, I came back with a, here's what I think we should do. And I I wanted to hang the Charles Darson Associate Shingle back out again. But also stick my toe in the water of artist management, stick my toe in the water of consulting, because I saw a lot of things out there that I thought needed a voice. Because everybody and his brother was starting to jump into the Christian event business, and most of them didn't know what they were doing. Absolutely. Uh, and so I thought I could probably find a few of those entities that I could help, and they would pay me well. Yeah. And I did. Uh, so in 2009, I relaunched Charles Dorison Associates. Even though I'd sold the business, the contract was such that they bought the assets of the business and not the name because oh, the cool. name was my name. Yeah. If it had been Acme Talent Agency, they would have owned that name too. But uh, because I still had the, I hadn't sold the rights to my name, nor had I signed anything agreeing not to use it again. Uh, I just used the same name again, Charles Darson Associates. And 
we we have a very small roster of uh, Christian artists uh, and have um, purposely kept it small. Um, uh, I represent Sela right now, um, have for a number of years. I represent Jackie Velasquez. Hmm. Uh, I represent Russ Taff. I represent Avalon. Um, and I represent uh, a, a Christian man who's not a Christian singer. He's a Native American guy. His name is Bill Miller. He's won four Grammys for Native American Album of the Year. Wow. They don't have that Grammy anymore. They condensed that into uh, a folk album of the year, which right. was not a great thing. Uh, and there's folk and something else that they 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 took five categories and condensed them down to one. Uh, but Bill is uh, just a wonderful guy, and um, many would say the foremost Native American singer of the day. And I mm-hmm. met him years ago, and uh, we we are we are good buddies. In fact, I talked to him right before you and I talked to you on the phone. He called me about something. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, but um, uh, also um, talked to uh, Bill Gaither who at that time was seeing his arena numbers come down and he had been selling out arenas for years right. and therefore he had not been available for fairs or conferences. And I thought there's a market for him for fairs. Hmm. So I went to Bill and long story short, cut a deal to represent him for fairs, festivals, theme parks, and conferences, wow. which I still represent him for to this day. Oh. So I've had him for uh, nine years uh, in that role. Uh, about six years ago, I signed Tamala Mann, who was just coming off of um, uh, a very successful TV show called Meet the Browns, where she was one of the stars. Yep. And uh, that that show was Tyler Perry's show, and it was 100% marketed to African Americans uh, because it was about life at a black church. Right. Uh, so most white Americans didn't understand it. So I could be somewhere with Tamala. She lives in Dallas. So I'd fly down to meet with Tamala uh, and David, and we'd be sitting at a restaurant, and every white person that walked by didn't even look twice at us. Uh. And every African American that walked by would go, oh, <laughs> he's Tamala Man. You know, so it's, it's really funny. I tell people I represent Tamala Man. A lot of people stare at me blankly and they go, who, who is she? Right. Yeah. This uh, next year, well, at the end of this year, I will complete six years of doing that. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's not many shows a year because she tours now. Uh, and so the one out fair dates are not as much of what she wants to do anymore. But I still bring her offers, and uh, she usually approves one or two or five of them every year. You know, and at 10%, you yeah. know, for a small shop like mine, if I can sell three dates at that kind of money and make 10% of it, you know, yeah. that contributes nicely to overhead, Absolutely. you know. And so that's been a great, great client. On the management side, uh, Guy Penrod, this is kind of how I got to know Gaither a little bit. Guy Penrod had just left the Gaither vocal band as, after 14 years as lead singer. And I didn't know much about Southern Gospel or Gaither Gospel because I knew who Bill was, Bill Gaither, because I loved him for years. And I didn't know much about Guy Penrod, but somebody called me and said, hey, here's a consulting opportunity for you. Guy Penrod wants to find a manager and an agent. He wants to build his own entity. So I called him, the friend of a friend, and basically thought, okay, this is going to be a great consulting deal. He'll hire me at $7,500 a month for three months, and I'll help him figure out a plan, you know, kind of a thing. Well, the long story short is God had other plans, and uh, 
I ended up signing Guy Penrod to manage. Oh. And it, it, it was a great five-year run. Uh, we worked together for five years. We accomplished every goal we set out to accomplish. I, I negotiated this record deal. We released three records, two of which um, uh, are still the two biggest selling records in his career. Now, obviously, a lot's happened since then. Nobody buys CDs. But in the Southern Gospel world, people still buy CDs, believe it or not. Right. Uh, even though they're streamed, certainly as well. Uh, but uh, that was a great run. I also booked him, so he became a booking uh, artist for me. So I was his manager and his booking agent. I had these clients that uh, were um, hiring me to consult them. That's some great consulting clients. I did a long-term deal with World Vision, six-year deal with them. Uh, I did a, a year-long deal with a number of entities, uh, including Integrity Music Group when they launched their worship conferences. Uh, you know, these were significant companies in our business that could afford to pay yeah. you know, respectable money, and I gave them their money's worth. You know, I spent a lot of time, energy, and effort, and uh, yes. I'm very proud of the track record. I did a deal for three years as a consultant for itickets.com mm. uh, and, and, and many others, but um uh, that's that's still that, that area is slow building back since COVID because virtually everything in that area of consulting wrapped around events. Right. Uh, but it's uh, I'm starting to have, in fact I have a meeting next week with a, an entity that I think is going to hire me for a consulting gig. Um, but um, in in the midst of all of that, um, uh, God did two amazing things. And I'll wrap up with this. One is we started, um, I, I brought in a guy to assist me in managing Guy Penrod. His name is Gerald Roy. You don't know him. Uh, he was in the country business back in the 80s and 90s. But he was a promoter, but he had also managed Patty Loveless, who was a pretty hot country artist in the 80s and 90s. And uh, he's a Christian guy, and he had started promoting some Christian shows. And he had done about 50 shows on Casting Crowns and, and others. Um, and um, uh, when I left William Morris, he calling me. He said, hey, let's have lunch, man. What are you doing? So we, we had lunch and we decided, let's try to find something to do together. So, so I got Guy Penrod to manage and he's taking a lot of my time because there's a lot to talk about. And I called Gerald and Gerald ends up coming in and meeting with Guy. And I told Guy, I said, I'm going to, I'd like for him to become your co-manager. So, so long story short, he agreed, Guy agreed to that. And so Gerald and I then began co-managing Guy. And at some point, uh, we decided, hey, let's promote some of Guy Penrod's shows ourselves because he was going out there and selling 600 to 1,200 tickets right. everywhere. Yep. you know. And um, pretty soon we were promoting a lot of shows on Guy Penrod. Uh, you know, so that was a, a really great thing from a lot of different angles, uh, certainly uh, as well. And then when our time ended with Guy, um, that was just about the time that Carmen had been diagnosed with cancer. You mm -hmm. may remember this or not, but Carmen had kind of sort of retired. He'd been off the scenes for a decade or more, living in Las Vegas, yeah. doing two or three events a year where he'd go in and preach and sing a little bit at a church service, but he was mostly retired. And so he, he didn't, he hadn't tried to build a social media presence. He didn't have a manager, an agent, or anybody working. He was just, he was just living in Vegas. So, you know, he, had, he had some things going on from investments and stuff like that, I guess, but I don't know all that story. Um, but uh, I got a call from Sam Chapel. He, he said, I guess you've read about Carmen. I said, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. And uh, uh, he said, well, you know, it's kind of reactivated Carmen's fan base. And Carmen, went, when he announced, he went on Facebook, he had 25,000 followers and just said, hey, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I appreciate prayer. And if you can get me on the prayer list, I would appreciate that. 
And one thing led to another, and within a couple of months, he had 400,000 people following him on Facebook. Because people like me, I saw it on Facebook, and I thought, oh, I should follow him and keep up with him and pray for him. And I did. I started I added him to my prayer list and wanted to, I got him on some prayer list just like he was requesting. Yeah. You know, and uh, so so Sam Chapel calls me in this time period and I said, Yeah, I, I do know what's happening. I'm, I'm keeping up with it. He said, Well, if Carmen survives his treatments, he wants to tour again. Oh, wow. Uh, would you be interested? I mean, could I know you're doing consulting. Uh, could, would you be willing to do a consulting deal and help Carmen figure out what to do? Well, long story short, there's a long story, but. He survives his treatments. We had we met before he began his treatments, and we hatched a plan where, in the midst of all these meetings, um, uh, I talked to Gerald, my partner with Jack Enrod, and I said, "We ought to propose to promote Carmen's whole tour coast to coast, wow. just to see if it works." And, now we, and so, so we did, and we took it into churches, it, uh, not knowing if he could, if if a hundred people would come. We just had no idea. Right. You know, well. It was more than 100, but it was way less than the arena numbers back when he was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but what we found out is that in just about every market in America, there were seven, eight, nine hundred, or a thousand people that wanted to see Carmen. They wanted to relive their past. They wanted to, you know, they hadn't seen him in many years. A lot of people would say to us, Yeah, I was 17. I got saved at the Carmen concert, and now I'm 43. And we heard that over and over and over. Anyway, Gerald and I put this tour together, and it did so well, we did another one. And it did so well, we did another one. And by the time our season with Carmen ended, we had ourselves promoted 197 concerts coast to coast with him. Oh, my gosh. And uh, worked with churches galore, uh, Gerald and I, or John Birdwell. I don't know if you remember John or not. Yeah. Uh, one of us was out on every date, uh, basically every day. I think there might be one or two we missed. But uh, we, we hired his crew. We rented the bus. We put the production deal together, pulled a trailer. Um, uh, we did everything. We basically functioned as uh, Carmen's management team. We weren't his managers, but yeah. he was kind of basically, you might say, managing himself. But really, Gerald and I made, were making most of the decisions. Sure. Um, and it was just a great run. And uh, that kind of opened the door for Gerald and I to keep that shingle out there. Carmen eventually came to us, as he had done many times in his career with people that worked for him. And right. he wanted to renegotiate the bill. <laughs> and... Um, the deal he wanted was not one we were willing to agree to, and uh, our contract was up, and he didn't have to stay with us, and he chose not to. Right. And we regretted it. We hated it. We actually did uh, agree, come a little bit in his direction, but I don't get in the weeds on that too much. And he, he was very honorable. We had a great season with Carmen. Yeah. I've heard stories from people here and there about this or that, and I'm like, hey, you know what? All I can tell you is I worked with the guy for three years, and he was great to work with. Right. You know, and he every night he did an altar call, and every night people went forward. And again, I go circle back to what I told you at the beginning of the conversation. I would be out there, John. You know, here it is. You know, thirty-five years after I got in Christian music, and I'm standing in the back of the con at the soundboard, and I'm there were lots of nights that I would wipe tears off of my cheeks when I'd see you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty people in a crowd of seven hundred go forward. That's awesome. And most of them were people wanting to be restored and uh, rededicate their lives. And, um, and you know, that's why I did what I did. Yes. And, you know, I believe to this day that's why Carmen did what he did. And I, I was so sad when he passed away. Carmen and I remained buddies, hmm. uh, even though we weren't working together. We talked on the phone from time to time. And I had just had a text conversation with him about two weeks before he died of a heart attack. And he had had um, a, a, a surgical procedure 
for a hernia, but that wasn't what killed him. He had heart issues, and uh, he technically he actually died of a heart attack. It's just so sad. A lot of people think he died of cancer or there was a surgical screw up somewhere, but that is not what happened. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so that's one thing I want to tell you. So we're still in the concert promotion business. He and I have a company called DR Artist Management, D for Doris, R for Roy, our last names. That's great. And um, we're managing a a group that's kind of in the Southern Gospel vein, but kind of a pentatonic meets Michael Dublé group called the Ball Brothers. We have a 30-city Christmas tour launching on the 17th of November. Wow. Uh, You can pull it up online and look at it. There's a lot of secondary markets, but, you know, we'll do 500 to 1,000 people at every one of those shows. Yeah. And um, so we're managing them, and we're promoting – we're not promoting all those shows. We're promoting that – uh, I think six or seven of them. The rest of them are sold to a concert buyer. Sure. Um, and uh, then we also do other shows. Uh, COVID, you know, uh, threw us for a loop. Obviously, we were we were we were doing in the neighborhood of about sixty shows a year. You know, we'd done uh, forty-eight shows on Jackie when she got out of the radio deal. We did uh, twelve CD run with David Phelps. We did twelve CDs with the Isaacs. We did. Uh, uh, 15 cities with Mark Schultz, um, and on and on. Uh, we did a bunch of cities with Sela. Um, and, uh, you know, we weren't going out trying to do 60 city tours. We were going out trying to do 12 city tours. And if it worked, do 12 more. And if it worked, do 12 more. Right. Not trying to conquer the world. Yeah. And we would go to the artist and say, we want to do a creative deal hmm. where we'll guarantee you 12 cities but not at the kind of money you think you should get for a one out, right. you know? So we've had a lot of acceptance from artists, especially artists that aren't getting airplay on K-Live. Yeah. You know, airplay on Christian radio is a whole different topic for another time. And I'm not in the radio business, but just meaning you got, you know, somebody like Jackie Velasquez's song, Oh My Knees is one of the top 100 most played songs in the history of Christian radio, but you don't hear it on Christian radio anymore, <laughs> right. you know, but there's still millions of people who know and love that song. Yeah. So when she'd come to town after not touring for seven years while she was uh, on Fish FM every morning, five days a week, um, she she was beloved. The people would want to come back out and see her. She's taking last year and this year off right now. Of course, COVID is off. So she's concentrating on raising her teenage sons, she and Nick. Right. I'm sure she, like a lot of people, um, as they get a little older, they go into speaking and stuff. I know recently you started representing authors and speakers. Tell me how that decision came about. I have always resisted, though I have been asked many times, I've always resisted getting in the speaker's bureau business. People would call me from time to time throughout my career and say, hey, I got this great guy, I just wrote a book, Thomas Nelson's publishing it, would you be his agent for speaking engagements? I go, nope, I just do music. <laughs> right. Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, listen, there's lots of great speaking agents out there, so go find you one. <laughs> right. Well, this comes back to wanting to have an impact on culture, which I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation. That's why I got in Christian music. That's why most of us got in Christian music, because, you know, kingdom work side. Yes. And um, um, I got a call from, uh, well, maybe a call, I walked in the office. John Birdwell, I mentioned earlier, you know, worked with me for seven years. He and his wife are back in New Zealand as pastors, missionaries right now. They've been over there for four and a half years, and I miss them terribly. Um, but we talk regularly, and uh, but anyway, John walked in my office one day and he said, I know you don't want to get the speaker's business. He said, But there's this girl named Allie Stuckey who's calling herself the conservative millennial, and she talks about Christ on Fox News, and she's getting out, she's on there all the time. And I know her mama, <laughs> and I've talked to her mom, and I live in Dallas, Texas, and you need to represent her. 
Uh, well, I resisted it for a bit, but John's a pretty persuasive guy. So I agreed to meet with her. She was coming to town to speak at an event. I heard her speak at this event, and I thought, holy moly. <laughs> she's doing for speakers what Twyla and Michael Card were doing, and then later on, the rock bands and white arts right. of the world were doing. <laughs> you know, she's standing up on the stage, yeah. and, her, and hers was Christian worldview commentary. <laughs> wow. And she was powerful, and she was 25. Huh. And I was going, how the hell is she doing? Wow. I've heard people 55 that can't speak as articulate. You know, I lost her short. Um, I began chasing her, and um, um, wow. I'm in my fifth year of representing her. Huh. And that has opened the door to other opportunities. Cool. And I'm very thankful for them. So I now have a burgeoning speaker's roster. Uh, and, hey, guess what? They don't want a tour. <laughs> but uh, Allie has to deliver four podcasts a week for Blaze TV. Oh, my goodness. So she doesn't want to do more than a couple of speaking engagements a month. Well, that makes her demand even higher. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm and, and the speakers all pay 20 and 25% commissions to their agents. Oh, so, wow. you know, you go out there and look at a $10,000 date on speaker, and you're making two grand or 2500 bucks. And so suddenly, the small shot thought process changes because, you know, unlike Sela, who though they're very realistic and they're you know great to work with, they like to work seventy times a year, right? You know, and they do a lot of the pre-COVID, especially. Uh, we have a great year going on this year. They're about to launch, leave on a ten city Christmas tour that launches on December one. Um, and I'm very proud of that tour. It took a long time to put that one together, but it's together. <laughs> and it's right. all on Sela, uh, but. Um, um, you know, so the speakers don't need um, seventy shows a year. They don't need. They don't need fifty. They don't want fifty. Right. You know, and uh, so I am uh, prayerful about some of the doors that God is opening right now because I am in conversation with some speakers whose names I can't mention because we're just in talking phases at this point. But there's one speaker that if I get this guy. Everybody knows his name, hmm. and um, you know, I, I, I hate to tantalize you for that and not oh, tell you no. who it is, but <laughs> I'll stay tuned. <laughs> he's, written over, he's written over 50 books, and he sold millions of copies, and everybody knows him. And oh. I, I think we're going to do a deal, we're, we're pretty close. And um, uh, I'm thinking, you know, this may be what God had planned, you know. So when I stepped away, and this is what I wrap up with when I had that moment in time where, where I knew William Marsh was getting completely out of Christian music. I could have taken 40 artists with me and hung out a shingle Sure. and had Charles Darson Associates for 40 artists. I'd have had to hire three or four agents and three or four assistants to make it work, but I would have done that. Yeah. But I just had to check in my spirit about doing it. And uh, I'm thankful now that I did not do that because this, the Christian music space is blowing and going in a wonderful way, and I'm very happy for it. But I'll tell you what is happening there. If you look at the current top 50 on the Christian music chart, mm -hmm. um, there's a wonderful group of artists, but half of them are on their first album. Yeah. And you don't know who half of them are, right. <laughs> you know, half of that half. So you, the fourth of them, you don't even know who you go. Who's that? That name wasn't even on the list three months ago, right. you know, and you have to look at the name of the label and it's a label you'd never heard of. Yeah. And then you look at Caleb's list, uh, move from the Billboard list to Caleb's list, go, well, sure enough, there it is on Caleb's charts. You know, and so the jury is out on what the 
longevity factor is going to be with this plethora of brand new artists that are coming on the scene. And I hope they all have long and tenured careers and do great work for the for the Lord. Yeah. So I'm not saying that I wish this on him, but I suspect what's going to happen is we're going to see more of what happens in the secular space. You're as hot as your current single. And if you don't equal that on your next single, you, you begin your downhill uh, roll at that moment. I don't know. You and I grew up in an era in Christian music where um, Margaret Becker could could keep on touring whether she, whether her next album had a single that went number one or not because that's just was what the fans were trained that way radio was trained that way uh you know and uh, and now it's not all right hey let me ask you this about legacy bands i went to pine knob and saw ario speedwagon and sticks a couple summers ago and it was sold out the lawn was full the pavilion was full why is it christian music doesn't support legacy bands why can't a petra or a whiteheart go out and sell a couple thousand seats do you have an opinion on that very short opinion um and the first thing i would say is i don't know because <laughs> i have wondered that as well because i would be keenly interested in having a legacy division i mean i got legacy artists now for that matter sure but i'd, I'd chase them in a big way there was a guy that came to town named is a guy they grew up on our music. Okay. He could sing you Margaret Becker songs. Right. He could sing you Whiteheart songs. He could sing you Wayne Watson songs. Oh, wow. He is probably in his early 50s right now. Okay. He built a, maybe mid 50s. He built a company out of Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. a very successful company, and sold it for millions of dollars. Um, Asheville decided he was going to use his fortune to. Mm create legacy tours you know what i have to tell you i have heard of him gersh told me about this guy yep yep because whiteheart was in the mix yes he hired up a bunch of consultants that were basically older guys like me i i was not one of his consultants i wish i had been because i i would have probably recommended he not jump in as though it was going to work i would have been more along the lines of let's test it first right sure so uh he, I met him pretty quick order because he wanted Russ Taff on one of his first tours. And the tour he wanted Russ on was going to be Twyla Ferris, hmm. Wayne Watson, First Call, and Russ Taff, all on one bus, players backing all the band, all, all four artists. Wow, all on one bus. And, and, and I remember going and sitting in his office and saying, the only way we're going to do that Russ will do this is if you guarantee payment even if the show's canceled. Right. And the long story short is uh, we held an entire spring that was going to be 40 cities or mm. I can't remember, 32 cities or something. Right. And um, about a week before the first weekend, he canceled the tour, Dennis did. Oh, my gosh. And um, I called him, and uh, he said, you called about the money, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well... I don't want to start with that. So I'm calling to tell you I'm really, really sorry that this didn't work. Because by this time, I had told him, I think you were making a mistake. trying to Because he was doing two different tours. I don't remember what the other lineup was. But Whiteheart was on the other lineup. Wow. And that tour basically, they may have gotten one weekend of their belts or something. But it basically. Crazy. Um, and uh, one thing led to another. And uh, I walked over to his office. And uh, I got a check for us. It was enough to buy a new car with, um, and nobody else got paid. Right. Because he had done 
I mean, he had deposits, like 10% deposits in with all the agents. Sure. And um, he had some, uh, he's a real smart guy. He had some commentary in his, his deal that said the tour canceled. He was not obligating other payments. Wow. And I was the only guy, he told me later, that got paid <laughs> for those <laughs> tours. And, and I'll put myself on some pedestal about that. I, it was just, I, I was looking at more from, okay, if I'm going to take Russ Taff off the market and right. say, okay, you got three months here, and then you go to Russ and Tory, his wife, and say, okay, we got to trust this guy. Yeah, they're going to say, hey, well, what happens if something happens? We got to have money to pay our rent. <laughs> sure, I mean, not rent, they own a place in Bellbuckle, but right. Um, it, anyway, that's why I did that deal, and, and he's representative of millions of people in America. Not millions of people who sold businesses for a lot of money. Sure. The people who grew up loving our music. Yeah. And so now back to your question, why why didn't they come? Yes. Why did we take a lineup like that that Russ was on where between the four artists you had forty something number one hits on Christian radio and put shows on sales, spending five or six grand a market advertising the shows and have hundred and twelve tickets sold in every market. Yeah. And 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 we don't know. I, I wish we did, but I will say that uh, this may be where the fact that Christian radio does not honor its legacies mm-hmm. uh, with artists. If you listen to any contemporary pop station, they will eventually play Hotel California, yeah, which was on the radio 40 years ago or whatever it was, 30 yeah. years ago, um, maybe 40. Um, in other words, Kids or, or people listening to that radio station would be aware of On My Knees if Jackie had been a pop act. But right. people listening to K-Love have no idea who Jackie is because they don't play even her hottest single. Now, I'm not knocking K-Love. I'm just saying sure. that's that's one potential factor because I was trying to look at, okay, why does it work in the pop business and why does it not work in the country business? I mean, the Christian business. Why does it work in the country business and yeah. not work in the Christian business? And that's the big difference. There's no golden oldie airplay uh, on the hot stations. Sure. The other thing is there's no oldie Christian stations. Mm-hmm. You got oldie country and you got certainly oldie pop. I mean, you listen to what is a nice, nice 6.3 here in Nashville, maybe one other one. That's and they play songs from the 70s and 80s all day long. That's all they play. Sure. You don't have any station anywhere. You might have a retro hour somewhere on an independently owned Christian station, but you don't have that on K-Love, and you don't have it on Salem, and you don't have it on Way FM, you don't have it on his radio network or his networks, but between them now own 80% of the Christian music stations. Yep. Um, and I'm not knocking them. I'm just making an observation. Sure. We, don't ha- we haven't trained our market. You know, so when you go see Sticks, it's because, hey, you know what? My senior in high school daughter knows hits from Sticks mm-hmm. because she listens to pop radio. Actually, right. more correctly, she streams most of the time now. Of course, yeah. but, um, and I think I think that's a big, big factor. And then maybe the very last thing is the suction never was as big. Uh, it was big to you and I. Yeah. Um, but you know, Jackie Velasquez, I, I keep using her name. Uh, I happen to have a Jackie video on in my office. Come to my office. I've usually got record videos. <laughs> now I've got, you know, Paul McCartney and Fleetwood Mac and Billy Joel and Queen and America and, and both Eagles live albums that they did after we got back together. I guess I got a lot of that Joe pop too. Um, 
but you know, we thought Jackie was huge, and she was because she so she had two platinum records and everything else went at least gold. Yeah, uh, she had sixteen number one singles on the radio. She did have some uh, pop airplay on uh, Hispanic radio, Latin radio, uh, but then again, most people in Peoria, Illinois, weren't listening to Latin pop radio, and she had her five hits on Latin pop. Right. Uh, so you know, you fast forward twenty five years later with Jackie. Uh, and yes, it's been 25 years. That's been 26 years this year since all my knees came out. That is just unbelievable. Isn't it crazy? You're, you're getting old, John. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for us, for guys like us, um, we thought Jackie was huge. But compared to Carol King yeah. or, you know, fill in the blanks, Celine Dion, right. uh, who had, who sold 10 million albums twice and everything went at least triple platinum right and her airplay was on 2600 stations mm -hmm. that had 100,000 watt signals and were the top five arbitron in the markets we have to at the end of the day admit those names are bigger yeah we think petra was huge yeah and they were in our world they sold 10 million albums sure they filled up arenas for five years in a row you know they made a mark and so did many others uh but uh, that's not near as big as Styx was. Sure, absolutely. You know, Styx sold 100 million albums or whatever number is, probably close to 100. Yep. They filled up arenas for 15 years. <laughs> they got all this airplay, yep. you know, and the only reason that Amy Grant has that kind of viability is because she, hello, had pop singles right. that went into the top five. Sure. You know, you can hear an Amy Grant baby baby song on 96.3 if you listen long enough. Sure. So that's another factor that I take into place that the market suction is just massively bigger in the pop and country world uh, than it is in Christian music. Even when we have a giant act. Now, right now, we got Lauren Daigle, who's the biggest act we've had in Christian music yeah. in a long, long time, selling 10,000 seats everywhere she goes. Wow. She may be the one that. She may be, you know, she may be able to do a tour 25 years from now, oh, you know, wow. because her suction is so strong. Yeah. Uh, and there are others. I mean, certainly there's people that um, I believe like Elevation Worship right now, let's say, you know, I don't know what the future of all these uh, Bethel Worship, Elevation Worship types of artists are, um, but, uh, you know, they're so hot right now. There's a generation that might be interested in seeing them 20 years from now. Wow. Again, you know. Yeah. But, um, and I wish they were interested in seeing uh, Whiteheart. <laughs> right. I sure love to put a Whiteheart tour together and do 30 cities. <laughs> yeah. But Dennis proved that even spending five, six, even seven grand in a marketplace doing direct mail and social media campaigns and posters and flyers and even buying right. time on pop radio stations hmm. in hopes of catching some of those consumers. It just did not work. People didn't care. Right. Well, Charles, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for spending this afternoon with me, sharing your amazing story and for the 40 plus years of hard work you and your friends put in to push people into the spotlight by providing us with stages and spotlights where we could actually use our gifts and share our talents. Thank you so much, my friend. It's been an honor. Well, John, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to reconnect with you. I so fondly remember our season of working together, and uh, I just uh, applaud you for doing what you're doing. Oh, man. Well, thank you, and thanks again for being here. When I'm in Nashville, I will buy you lunch. All right. Well, good deal. I look forward to the next time. 
My thanks to you for listening today. My special thanks to Charles Doris for being my guest. Next week will be a recast. Two weeks from now, part one of my amazing conversation with the remarkable producer, Bill Schnee. Have a fantastic week, everyone. <laughs>